The nail in the coffin! Welcome to episode number four of The Nail in the Coffin, a Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino, and I am joined, as always, by Travis Yoli. Trav, how are you? Fantastic. Good evening. So we are recording on Wednesday night. Got a whole bunch of stuff that uh, has come down here in the past week or so that we want to cover. But first, uh, just a few ground rules, as always, to get us rolling. Uh, If you're not familiar with the show, uh, we typically talk Cavs, Browns, Indians, and Buckeyes and occasionally some other sports-related topics once a week. Uh, We are not professional broadcasters or audio engineers by trade. We're not insiders with quote-unquote sources. Uh, We're just a couple of Cleveland guys who like to talk sports and want to get you in on the conversation. We don't swear gratuitously, but we might drop a colorful word every now and then, so you've been forewarned. And you can always check out the show at the nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. But if you're listening on your phone, the best way to listen is to subscribe on iTunes. I've had a few people in the past week or so who have been going to the blog and listening to it there from their phone. Uh, we certainly appreciate everybody checking out the show. And the blog's great if you're on a desktop. But if you're on a phone, you're going to notice that the recording is going to stop when your screen shuts off. That's a huge pain. So if you go to the podcast app, that won't happen. Way easier, much better, and you can subscribe to the show. You'll always get new episodes as soon as they go live. A lot of good reasons to go check it out that way. And as of last week, we are now on Stitcher, too. If you're not familiar with Stitcher, it's an app that's available for both Apple and Android devices, and it's basically for news and talk what Pandora is for music. And it's a free app. I think they have a paid option, but uh, the free app is uh, the way to go. And you can subscribe to the show on there as well. So if you're interested, I'm going to have the links to both iTunes and Stitcher in the show notes for this episode. Uh, just check it out there. And for you Android users, we're going to have one more platform in the works that's hopefully going to be coming real soon. And uh, last but not least, if you enjoy the podcast, spread the word. Giving us likes on Facebook and Twitter is really great, and it's always appreciated. But if you can share those posts that we put up, it'll really help us uh, to get the word out and help us build up this little community that's following the show. All right, so with all of that business taken care of, Travis, last week the Browns were in Cincinnati to get taken to the woodshed, and you were also in Cincinnati for the game. Uh, How'd it go down there? Well, you saw the game. That's pretty indicative. Um Quite frankly, it was. I, I went down with a little expectation of the Browns um, pulling this one out of their ass. Um, I, I don't think any any legit Cavs fan thought they were going to pull this one off. I mean, they did last year and surprised a little bit. Um, but I uh, live with a Bengals fan. I have several Bengals fans uh, as friends. A couple that live down in Cincinnati. We just thought it'd be a fun opportunity to meet up, go down there, hang out for a little bit. Um, Overall, Cincinnati's a, a very different feel for those that haven't been there, very different feel from Cleveland in terms of a game day experience, um, as opposed to any sort of tailgate situation. It appeared that most fans end up at uh, this this small sort of arena district type area, which is just a closed off road with a bunch of bars. It's a little more uppity, a little more pricey, um, but not necessarily a bad experience. I had a great time before the game. Um, Our seats were less than ideal. We were pretty high up um, at the right behind one of the end zones, right on the uh, back goal line, uh, about 25 rows up in the upper deck. So about as far as you could legitimately get, but still fine seats. It's actually a pretty nice stadium. Um, Overall, I think there's not, there's not really a huge rivalry there. Um, there's not much vitriol or hatred or anything. And I, I obviously went into a, uh, went in with, Hey, I'm here to have fun with my friends, have a few beers. And that's about it. Um, of course, I mean, when the Browns were, they did score them. Johnny got that touchdown at the end of the first half. I was excited. I was, I was up and clapping, but for the most part, I was sitting back, uh, sort of taking it easy. Well, around the second half, there was one guy in front of me with, um, 
he was he was a little red to put it lightly. He was uh, <laughs> he clearly him and him and his lady friend who probably had about an extra hundred pounds on him uh, were on their night out for the week, um, having a good old time, having a few sodas, which nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think at some point he thought he he took offense to something I said, even though I didn't really say anything to him. Um, I didn't realize it was happening because I was looking over talking to my friends, but then my girlfriend pokes me and she's like, this guy, and it turns out this guy is literally just turning around screaming at me like nonstop. Oh no. Doing doing the money sign for Johnny Menzel saying, yeah, get Johnny out of here. And I I looked at him. I'm like, I, I, I agree with you. I don't want Johnny in there either. And for some reason he continued this for the remainder of the game. At one point I was just like, you know, it's astonishing how much you like you guys cheer now when you're playing the Browns. Um, you guys have a pretty good thing going right now this season. I, I it was funny to me. I didn't really argue with him too much, just because I, mean, I didn't really feel like getting into it. But, but surprising what sort of uh, inferiority complex they actually have towards the Browns of all teams. It's like you guys are a very good team. The Browns are a bad team. You're supposed to win this game. You're act like, and they they act like I was this big outsider rubbing it in their faces with big expectations or something which was yeah fun. you're coming and, from the big city of cleveland yeah, exactly exactly it's like we're the browns like this isn't a game you should get that excited about i mean everybody there's clapping and celebrating and that's it and I, I take a little bit of ribbing i understand that's how it goes but he made it like i had like personally offended him and he had just taken justice on me which hey if he felt that way good for him you know um the funniest, the funniest part of the evening, though, was actually um, after the game. We went to a bar after the game to get a couple beers, and we walk in, and we get the they had the uh, the twenty ounce cans, the big tall guys, and we're all standing around in a circle. Me and like it was, I think there were six, five or six of us. We're just sitting there drinking our beers. We just paid our seven dollars for a beer, whatever the hell it costs. And I turn around, and there's two guys sort of yelling at each other, and all of a sudden, one like pushes the other one and and i get knocked down my girlfriend gets knocked to the ground our beers go everywhere i'm just livid at this point i'm like what the hell's going on um i don't know what instigated the fight at all all i knew is i lost my beer yeah that's so uh... the guy who initiated the fight gets like dragged off and they pull him off of the patio like over the like removable fence thing and his girlfriend comes over like hysterical, like crying, trying to talk to the bouncer about why her boyfriend, who is clearly trashed, like shit faced, should be let back in the bar. And he's like, just go get out of here. And my girlfriend, who had just gotten knocked to the ground, just getting up, was a little annoyed by the situation as well, said something to the girl like, you know, called her something, whatever. Maybe Uh-oh. she deserved it. I don't disagree with it. Um, but this girl starts yelling all of a sudden. I'm just standing there like, what's going on? And out of nowhere, the guy, the guy that was originally there came at me and like pushed me down. And I, I stand up. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, is he, is he like a Bengals fan? And he thought like I said something to him or what? I'm standing here wearing a brown shirt. I don't know. Maybe he thought I did something. I, t- I look up, swear to God, couldn't make this up. He's getting dragged away wearing that obnoxious T-shirt from after the draft last year with Johnny doing the money sign. Oh, no. I'm like, this is, like, picture perfect. (laughs) So this guy's getting dragged away by his friends, and I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. Well, it turns out, like, my one friend is like, yeah, you got a bruise there. It turns out I got hit in the face. (laughs) I got knocked to the ground. I didn't really feel it, and I was telling – I talked to uh, one. I was talking to one of, one of my buddies later that night, and I'm like, I'm kind of okay being in a fight. I just wish I knew I got in a fight. Well, like I wish something actually happened. But he know, just hit me, and then he stood across the street for like an hour. He ended up having like fire department come and stuff. I think like paramedics were checking him out. I'm like, I don't even know what happened. But basically, I got sucker punched by a guy in a Johnny T-shirt. That's uh, so. It was a great trip to Cincinnati, is what you're telling me here. And then I went to a, a skyline that was open till three o'clock in the morning. Got myself a couple conies and called it a night. Yeah, okay. it was fantastic. All right, it's fantastic. So, let me just ask: Was this the first time you had been to an NFL game in another city? 
Um, that's a good question. Yes, I think so, surprisingly. Okay. Have you been to other sports in, in other cities? I've been to many Ohio State games in other cities. Yeah. Um, I've been to Indians games in other cities. Um, I think NFL football has a very different atmosphere, um, just in general. College sports are a little rowdy because you tend to be in a college town. Yeah. Uh, where there's a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds getting hammered. Um, but no, overall, I think it's a bunch of – it's a very strange crowd. There was a lot of uh, t- young 20-somethings who were out for the social aspect of it. There was the guy in front of me who – I don't know what the hell he does. I think he had like a fishing hook on his hat, which was interesting. That's a solid um, effort. And then there's this guy who I don't know if he came down from Cleveland – or just happened to be a big Johnny Manziel fan, but had one too many sodas and started fighting anybody at the bar that he thought offended him. How was the the makeup of the crowd in terms of Bengals fans versus Browns fans? Was it 99% Cincinnati people and and just a pocket of Browns people? It's hard to gauge. I think um, it was – so walking down the street and, like, hanging out beforehand – I saw several. I saw more Browns fans than I expected to. Mm. Um, at the game, you didn't really notice any pro Browns cheering going on. If that makes sense, like when even when we scored that touchdown, there wasn't well, anything noticeable in the crowd. I was um, gonna say, other than that, you really didn't have a whole lot to even get excited right. about at all to begin and with. At that point, it was still a game, and and that gave you a little bit of, if you were a Browns fan, that maybe gave you a good feeling. But um, no, they didn't. We didn't. Browns fans as a whole did not have any presence inside the stadium, I don't think. Mm. Interesting, because I have never been to an NFL game outside of Cleveland. I've done uh, several Indians games. I did a couple at Wrigley against the Cubs, and I went to one in Detroit against the Tigers at the old Tiger Stadium. And the that was all of those Indians games that I went to traveling were all in the nineties when the Indians were at their height of their popularity and you couldn't get a ticket here in Cleveland. So what was really interesting was when all the games in Cleveland sold out, people started traveling like we did to go see games in other cities. So we basically took over those two stadiums and especially in Chicago, because it was the first time the Indians had ever played in Wrigley at that point. I think it was 98. The locals there were just flabbergasted wondering who the hell are you people where did you come from where, go back where, to your shanties yeah because like nobody comes into wrigley and cheers against the cubs it, it was blasphemy so it wasn't a true road game experience now i also went to a road playoff game i covered one for the news herald back in 06 in the nba uh calves at pistons whoa it, yeah, it was, it was the year before the Cavs went to the finals the first time. So it was LeBron's first year in the playoffs. Second round series. It was a game seven for that series. And you that was the first time I'd ever really experienced being in enemy territory. And it was just amazing to me. I, I had a whole new appreciation for what the atmosphere is like when you're the road team. I think it, it's. I think, truthfully, I'm not sure Pist- that Pistons Cavs one might be close, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find anything. I think, I think in general, the college fan base is a little takes rivalries a little more seriously. Yeah. Um, like I've gone to Ohio State games at Michigan, uh, at Penn State, in games where both teams were very good, um, and heard things yelled at me that I I would. I think most people would have been embarrassed if their parents had heard them say. And you should take a trip up to Detroit sometime. Full disclosure, I've done it myself. I've yelled <laughs> it too, and I don't take like I don't take offense to it. I don't think it's I don't have a problem with it. I'm sort of of the mindset that you can pretty much say whatever you want. Um, obviously, there's a certain line where you just don't want people to hear you say certain things out loud. But as long as it's it's nothing physical, nothing's being like thrown at me, which wasn't the case on a couple occasions at Michigan, but um, as long as it's, we're fans. If you're taking it too seriously and you're actually like getting offended by stuff like that, you probably shouldn't be there to begin with. Yeah. You need to calm down a little bit. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah, just the sheer noise level when I was at the Palace, it, it was unbelievable because you're you're sitting down on press row behind the benches and all of the noise is directed right at you down towards the floor. And I can remember specifically right at that opening tip-off and when the Pistons started to pull away in the second half, it got so loud in there, it sounded like a jet engine uh, taking off on a runway. It, w- it was unbelievable. And it was one of those things where I'm just thinking to myself, when you're part of that and you're cheering and you, you, it's exciting to be part of, when that's going against you and you've, you're surrounded by 20,000 people that are actively rooting for you to fail, it, it's, it's amazing what athletes can just block out and still perform well. And I, I just I gained a whole new appreciation for what teams are able to do on the road and, and how they're, well, they're able to perform and, and win games. Yeah, that was um... – I think I think bat, playoff basketball it, it's sort of uncanny what sort of switch turns on after the regular season ends. Yeah, um, and you can already feel it now true. during the Cavs season. Um, I went to uh, my girlfriend and I went to one with the Bulls Cavs last year, and it was one of the one we won the game and we played real well through the whole time. And it's incredible what the crowd gets like. She looked at me at one point, like middle of the first quarter, probably, and she's like, "This is so much fun. The crowd's so into it." I was like, yeah. yeah, this is this is playoff basketball. It's like this. Um, and I was definitely on the other end of it. Um, I went to Penn State, uh, Ohio State. I want to say that it was – I want to say it was 05. Um, we lost the game 17-10. I remember Troy Smith got sacked at the end and fumbled it. Mm. Um, I was actually in the dead center of the Penn State alumni section. I was on the 50-yard line. My aunt's boss at the time was a big donor at Penn State, and he sent me a pair of tickets to go to the game. And we were there with Ohio State stuff, and you would not believe how excited these 16, 70-year-old women were getting about <laughs> this game um, and the way that they were acting. But, yeah, you're right. If you're there for a big game and you're on the other side, it can be incredibly hostile. Um, yeah. <laughs> it can it can be a tough experience, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of hostile situations, uh, our our uh, old hero uh, Bernie Kozar oh, Bernie. Uh, went went on uh, the Channel 19 airwaves over the weekend and was ready to stage a hostile takeover of the Browns front office. I know it's been discussed around town quite a bit here over the past few days. I know the local sports talk stations really beat it into the ground, but uh, let's just get this out of the way quickly because I think it's kind of past the the point now and it's not going to happen but we're we're in agreement right that bernie running the franchise is a bad idea oh a hundred percent um i think um i'm I'm of the mind i just kind of treat this with the same way we we treated uh robert turbin if you had that potential to do it someone would have given you a shot by now um he was given a shot um under the previous owner, obviously Lerner offered him, uh, I think a president position and he declined it cause he was living in Florida and he didn't want to live in Cleveland at the time, but I'm not sure what he's ever done. That would make people think this is something he could be successful at. Yeah. Here, here's the thing with this, you know, other people might look at what Ozzie Newsom has done with the Ravens and think, well, if Ozzie Newsom can do it in Baltimore, then Bernie can do it here. What really gets swept under the rug and forgotten about in, in that is that Ozzie Newsom, when he retired in 91, he immediately took a role in the Browns front office as like an assistant scout. or and he, was a, he was a scout, I think. He was an assistant in, in player personnel. And over the next 11 or 12 years, he got promoted three times. And, and the, the third promotion was finally 0-2 when he became the Ravens GM. So he basically put in about 10 or 11 years worth of, of time and effort learning how a front office works, learning all the intricacies of running player personnel and all the different aspects that go into it. And then at that point, he was finally ready to take the keys and, and run the, the play, the, the Ravens front office. Yeah. They groomed him for that position and he earned it. Um, yeah. Now if I, don't, Bernie I don't know came that Bernie's in, done anything like that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Bernie needs to come in and start on the bottom rung, but you you just can't. You come can't in. expect to just say, "Hey, uh, the fans liked me 30 years ago, so let me run the team." Yeah, 
Because that's it, really all he's got. Right. I mean, he hasn't really successfully done much of anything. Um, the, if if you give him a president type position where he has some input or or whatever the case is on personnel or anything like that, he's been pretty unsuccessful in business. Um, I don't I don't know that his personal life necessarily matters because let's be honest, a lot of those guys are uh, have their personal issues too. Um, so I'm not going to harp on that, but he hasn't really done anything to prepare him for this position except the same thing you and I do, which is watch football on TV. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I think what he was doing as the commentator, the color, the color analyst for the preseason local TV broadcast was great. And I was really bummed out that they let him go and put Solomon Wilcox of all people in that role. Instead, I think Solomon Wilcox is awful and just throws out a lot of cliches and has no connection and no feel for what's going on with the Browns franchise. Yeah, I, agree. I, I like listening to Bernie. I think he was politically incorrect, and he made preseason football about as interesting and entertaining as it gets. <laughs> That's I, if you offered him that job again tomorrow, I, I, I'd be very excited, and I'd be happy to listen to him again, and, and I hope he could have a role like that again. But what I thought was really interesting in this you know, ground-swelling this groundswell of support of people saying like, oh, get Bernie in there, get Bernie in there. Cleveland.com ran a poll earlier this week asking, what role would you like to see Bernie Kosar have with the Browns? And the answers were everything from offensive coordinator to head coach to GM to team president, and there was an option on there for none of the above. But just the fact that that poll was put up tells me everything you need to know like what other guy in football would you think or, or would that question even apply to like hey um mike Patton is a really great football mind we have no idea what he could actually do for a team should we consider him for our gm position our team president position our our assistant uh coach or our head coach like no, I mean, Mike Pettin's going to be a coach, whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach. Ray Farmer, are we looking at Ray Farmer and thinking, hey, this guy, maybe he's an offensive coordinator, or maybe he's the president of the organization. Like, what the hell? Where you it, can it, run the entire gamut. Yeah, of, like, what, right. how the hell does that work? Like, what what are we doing here? I mean, it, it, you have to assume it kind of just indicates that most people don't really know what those jobs are. Yeah. They just think, oh, Bernie could run an offense. Oh, Bernie could pick players. Yeah. Um, oh, Bernie would be a good manager of the overall team. They're all entirely different skill sets. And quite frankly, I'm not sure Bernie has any of them. I think he's a, he's a smart guy. That's what got him by um, as a quarterback was um, his ability to play the game mentally because he wasn't overly physically gifted. But that doesn't that doesn't automatically translate into a guy that can go out put a roster together or a guy that can go out and be a head coach and he has this like mythological reputation as this guy who was just incredible and I think I don't think people remember he wasn't I this I told I said this earlier and I I know it could get me killed if I walked down on the street he wasn't that even that good of a quarterback you know, I'm really glad that we record this and publish it after the fact, and we don't just broadcast this live out on the internet somewhere, <laughs> so at least now I'll have a chance to go find a safe house or at least arm myself with a Kevlar vest after uh, associating myself with you after you made that statement here in this town. But can you, can you, can you point to anyone who has been built up after the fact to be so much better than he actually was? Here's the thing. He, I, I, I'm not going to go as far as you in terms of what he actually was as a quarterback. I thought he was really great, and I think he far exceeded his physical tools with his brains and was able to really overachieve, and I think that's something that should be commended. That I can agree with. I don't even disagree with that. Here's the thing, though, and I think it's why – we just put those 80s Browns teams on such a pedestal is the fact that we've had nothing here to to cling to since. I mean, we had one playoff win with Vinny Testaverde as the quarterback in the 94 season. It was the year after Bernie was let go. And then 95, they moved. 
and everything after that has been a shit show. And the longer we go through this void, and here we are again, we've got Bernie coming on local TV, basically shooting fish in a barrel, talking about how things need to be changed over there. We're not getting out of the void anytime soon. The longer we go through this, and the longer we go without somebody to take up the mantle for the franchise, I think it's just allowing the legend of those 80s players like Bernie, uh, it allows their legend to grow to a disproportionate level. Isn't this, the way that he went about this, isn't this the equivalent of standing outside the facility with a sign that says, hey, hire me, why not? Which we also have one of those guys in town right now. But I actually understand what he's doing. Um, His probably has a better chance of success than Bernie's. Um, But the the thing that I notice so much is how many people are just like, yeah, give Bernie a shot. What could go wrong? That's not Um, a reason to hire him. That's never a good reason to hire someone. I said this this analogy earlier. It'd be like, hey, uh, the heat doesn't work in my house. It's really uncomfortable in here. Browns fan says, well, light your house on fire. Okay, does that fix my problem? It, it couldn't be worse, right? Why not? Just go ahead and do it. Lighting your house on fire, that, that analogy hits a little close to home for the Browns right now. <laughs> That's a little on the nose, I think. Like, yes, it will be warmer, but does it actually fix my problem? Yeah. Here's a, you know, I was thinking about it, and look at the way we view that group of Browns and those Browns teams from the late 80s and their place in the Browns franchise lore versus the Cavs teams from the late 80s into the early 90s. They basically achieved just about the same thing. They were they were really good teams that made the playoffs every year and got to the conference finals and ran into, in the Browns case, they ran into John Elway and the Broncos. And in the Cavs case, it was Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I think now, the, I think the 90s Indians are... are right there too yeah they made it they made it to the to the series a couple times but in just terms of how we view them although i think those indian teams were legitimately that good yeah all the browns and Cavs are probably propped up a little higher than they than they should be and the indians got to the world series twice whereas the, the browns never got to the super bowl they got real close and the Cavs at that time never got to the nba finals they got really close and I just feel like it was that blue-collar, hardworking town, good citizens, guys that were always looked at favorably. And just when, when things went south with the Cavs, it wasn't like everybody was clamoring to start bringing back Lenny Wilkins and bringing back Mark Price and Brad Doherty and everybody else that we could think of from that time. It, you know, I think those guys in that era of the Cavs, even though they accomplished about the same thing that the Browns did, I think ultimately that they're put into a little bit more uh, fitting perspective because the Cavs since then have had LeBron. And now we're in the LeBron era number two, where they're getting to the finals. They're going further than those guys went in the past. And I really feel like if we had a Browns team at any point in the last 15 years, that was able to get back into the playoffs, win a couple playoff games, God forbid, maybe even make the bleeping Super Bowl once, I don't think we, there would be this immediate rush every time things start going wrong. Well, let's trot out Bernie again. It, it, and it just, it's so frustrating to me. Yeah, I think I think in general, it's it's, it's the fact that, I mean, there's no hiding that it's a, that it's a Browns town. Um, no one... I mean, tries to argue that fact. Um, they're by far and away the worst franchise in town, yet they've never struggled to draw a crowd. Um, you go anywhere during a game, and everyone's wearing Browns gear. I think there's there's that older contingent that's probably in their 40s and 50s that remember this time when, hey, we were, we were pretty decent. We were close. And they all associate it with Bernie. So it's just, hey, bring this guy back. But I think in in baseball, baseball and basketball specifically, it's the players. It's the players a lot more, I think, than it is how you build the roster. Um, basketball, yeah, you're right. With We have LeBron. It, it doesn't matter who's in the front office. 
while we've both been happy with what the front office has done. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with that because there's a huge difference between what's going on with this version of the LeBron Cavs and the last version of the LeBron Cavs and I think it goes in large part to the way they've been able to build pieces around him. Yeah, time. but I think but I think the fact that um they they had a couple years to to build up those assets. They didn't necessarily do that the time before when they got LeBron LeBron was the asset. So they had a lot of cap space the, the, in one of LeBron's early years, and that money all went to Larry Hughes. Yeah, yeah, hard to argue with that one. Um, Larry Hughes, I don't know. I Larry, oh, Larry Hughes. I was a big Larry Hughes fan. Um, not necessarily as a basketball player, but I liked him. Um, but no, I think you're definitely right. I don't, I don't know what what the obsession is with with Bernie as a specific. Um, People just, they just remember that. I mean, they just remember how he played. They remember how exciting, I guess, he was back then. I personally don't. I was six or seven when he left town, so um, I don't remember much of it. Um, I've seen it since then, and I hear what people say about him. But overall, it's sort of a weird phenomenon, and I don't know that you really see it anywhere else either, not just here in Cleveland, but I don't see other cities... Like Detroit's not calling for Barry Sanders to come run things; <laughs> they're in shambles. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know why it's so specific here and specific to Bernie, but I don't know. I think it's just I think I'm I'm glad they're not taking the bait. Yeah, and, and I don't think they're going to. So you had mentioned the Browns being the the top team in town. Jeff Schudel of the News Herald this week, actually, I think it was late last week wrote a column asking if the Cavs in their current run of success are ever going to overtake the Browns as the number one team in town. Do you think that could happen? If it hasn't yet, no. They still sell out every game for this team. They raise ticket prices 30%. They still sell out every game for the Browns. They can't get... I don't know if the Cavs are the only team that you can use. I think you can bring the Indians into it because when the Indians are good... This team's this city's pretty fun, um, especially in the playoffs and in that time of the season. Like when they had that one game last year, the city gets behind the teams when they're good. But I mean, LeBron, how many years does he have left as like an elite player? Maybe five or six. I think that's yeah. that's pretty widely agreed. It would take that long to build it up. Now, if LeBron had never left, maybe. I still don't think so, but maybe. Um, I think the way that football as a whole is very in- entrenched, it's very popular. I mean, football as a whole is just a more popular sport. I don't. Yeah. In, the the NFL overall is just bigger than the NBA. Um, I, I think, well, I, no, because I don't know if it's necessarily the NFL. I think if you go to a city like a Miami or um, like LA, if a football team ends up in LA or something like that, um, those are more uh, basketball towns. They probably get more behind a basketball team or a baseball team. I just think the way that the Cleveland culture and the way uh, the spirit of the town is very, very compatible with football as a sport, I think. Um, and I, I just see no if, – if the town has um, unapologetically and unwaveringly stood behind the Browns for this long, despite the nonstop dysfunction – it's hard to think that people would ever jump off of that. I I think there there's a couple things at work. Number one, you you casually mentioned Miami. I, I think Miami fans suck in general. Yeah, I so I, I I'm not going to give them credit for being better fans and more into any any team they have down there. Um, another thing, I I don't know if the Cavs are ever going to really overtake the Browns as the top team in town, but I absolutely, without a doubt, think they've overtaken the Indians. Oh, and, you can't argue that. But yeah, and, I think and the, the way... I mean, the Indians, I, I know you had said that people get into it when they, they win. Their television ratings have been great, especially in the last couple of years when they were in contention. But their gate attendance at the ballpark has dropped every single year over, I believe, the last four or five years now. And that's including this past year 
when they had already had two straight winning seasons and they had just done all those renovations in right field and their attendance for this year still dropped. And the year that they were in the playoffs, so when they made the wild card 2013, that that year they struggled to get up over 15 or 16,000 for some of those weeknight games in the last week of the regular season. So Yeah, and I, I, it's, it's hard to understand for me. Um, yeah. I think it's... I think you have to look at the way that there's eight NFL games a season. There's what, 42 for basketball and then 81 for baseball. So the length of the season as well as, I mean, who wants it's to more of an event. Cleveland in April? Yeah, it's more of an event for, for a football game because they're so scarce. It's more of an event for a football game. And basketball is such a superstar-driven sport um, that you go to a basketball game. I mean, even if LeBron wasn't here, say he'd never played for Cleveland, people would still go to Cavs games when whichever team he was on showed up to see him play. So, um, and that goes for other superstars as well. So I think um, no one go. I don't know that anyone really goes to baseball games. Like, no one says, oh, man, I really want to go see Mike Trout. Yeah, baseball just got a star him, problem he gets, overall. He gets, I mean, well, and it's just the, he gets three at bats, and he maybe gets a handful of plays in the field. You can go to a game, and you don't even know if the guy's going to get a chance to really do anything. Basketball, you know the guy's going to do something. Football, yeah, that's you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen. Baseball, if you go to see a superstar, you're going to see him for maybe one fiftieth of the time you're there. I've. It, that's that, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I, I feel like that's become an even more pronounced pro, problem for baseball in the last 10 years or so. Because when you think about like those glory days Indians teams back in the 90s, like I was going to see Albert Bell hit, and I was going to see Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and Omar and, and Bayerga and Sandy Alomar. Now, right, you were when they were on your team. Were you going to see maybe Griffey back then? But is there any other guy that you were going to go see? I'm really excited to see this guy play from another Coming team. Coming from out of town? Probably not. Uh, maybe if there was like a big pitcher and I knew there was like a, a yeah. pitching duel. If you knew it would be a good, yeah, something like that potentially. But you, yeah. weren't, it, you weren't buying the tickets months ahead of time and planning a, a night downtown to see, to go, I don't know, Clemens or whoever the hell it is. Right. No, that's fair. You know, the other thing, just getting back to why the Browns are, are still the heavy in town, I, I think one of the things that really has a subtle hand, and or maybe not so subtle hand in that, is the fact that you've got two sports talk stations in this town, 92.3 on FM and AM uh, 850 KNR, and they are both the flagship stations for the Browns. And I think, especially now with them both having that distinction, there's a rather unwritten code with both of those that the Browns are going to drive their conversation. And it just drives me nuts when I, I flip those stations on and it's why I'm listening to them less now than I probably have in a long, long time is just that there's, I mean, there's really nothing you can say about the Browns at this point, And they're still going to keep forcing that conversation, forcing that dialogue. I mean, they got a whole day or two out of the whole burning fiasco earlier this week. And there's things that are really going on that are good with the other teams in town, but because the, they hold the rights. They don't hold the rights to the Cavs games. They don't hold the rights to the Indians games. Those are both with uh, iHeartMedia now, MMS and TAM. So, you know, their, their, their show pony is the Browns, we'll and it, come hell or high water, they're going to push that. And especially with 850, last year the, the Cavs were in the NBA Finals, and they... I mean, the biggest sports story going, Cleveland was a part of it. The team right down the road was involved, and they were spending two hours a day from one to three with a show exclusively about the Browns during a time when nothing was going on with the Browns. Yeah, They have a a, a year-round, two-hour-per-day show about the Cleveland Browns. And that, I mean, that shows part of their partnership and, and their, their deal to be a flagship station. That's, you know, I, I make the joke that it's it's state-run radio, and, and that's the kind of stuff. I mean, that's not like Do a, you have any a, insight into why 92.3 doesn't have to run that? 
I think 92's got their own programming. They've got, I think they do the coaches show on like a weeknight. Yeah, they do. I know Ken they, Carmen doesn't like that every once in a while. Yeah, so they've got their own exclusive programming, and I know like one station does the official pregame and one station does the official postgame. And KNR actually had that show as a one-hour show, I think from like 6 to 7 for a year or two before this whole expanded rights deal took off and they became a station that was starting to air games but yeah it, it's it's really forced and, like who and in the world gratuitous. like on in a wednesday afternoon in may who wants to listen to brown's talk radio in the city of cleveland I, it just baffles me and i mean that's sort of the sort of thing if you did that with the calves any time in the off season, everyone would be calling in like, "Why are we talking Cavs right now?" Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's just become nobody really seems nobody way. really seems to point out that this is a bit ridiculous. This is a bit too much Browns. Yeah, they don't even have anything good to talk about. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, there are exceptions. I, I want to be really clear about that right now. There are a few hosts that are exceptions, but by and large, for the most part, when you listen to sports talk hosts in this town try to talk basketball, it's a disaster because they have no clue what the hell they're talking about. No. It's it's really bad. It's a lot of, oh, this NBA, insert generic NBA star that everyone knows is good. Uh, This guy's really good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, LeBron played well last night. Yeah, of course he did. One Um, of the morning co-hosts on the FM station, no names, but he he is the elder statesman. Okay. In in mid-April last season, basically the last week of the regular season, he didn't know who the starting shooting guard was on the Cavs. Well, he probably didn't know who he was, so it's hard to pile on too much. But no, I mean, mean, I don't disagree with you. That's your number one show on your station, and... uh, your your number one host on that show doesn't know who the starting two guard is on on the best team in town. That's that's horrifying. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'll give him. I guess I'll, I don't know why I'd give him credit for it. They do they do include them in the coverage. And right now, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that egregious if right now they were covering large majority Browns because yeah. the NBA season's so long and it's so early. Yeah. Yeah, the NBA season really picks up after Christmas. It's hard to really do anything more right now than, hey, what was the score last night? Who looks good? Anybody hurt? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, moving on. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I I noticed it last year during the playoffs. There were people that would get very into it. They were very excited about the games. But you could tell they didn't know what the hell they were watching. They knew guys' names, but they don't know basketball. Um. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to pass myself off as some sort of um, film expert, but like the most basic things they'd be calling out and pointing out things. And it's like, well, that's, that's not what happened. Um, right. Like it's pretty, it's pretty elementary stuff. And you guys literally have no clue about it, which I can excuse, but have someone on that does. And yeah, they don't. It, and there are people here that do that, yeah. uh, that, that, that do know how the game works and i just it it frustrates me because yeah i think this is a brownstown overall but i can tell you my house we're a Cavs house number one i'm i'm a basketball guy above all else and i know that puts me in the minority in this town but i I just it 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 gets so frustrating when you want really you want a little bit better analysis and you really have to work for it to find it if i i mean if i had to pick if I had to rank my Cleveland teams, the Browns, in terms of which ones I would want to see win a championship, the Browns are a distant third. I agree. And it's not close. Um, I honestly have a hard time between picking between the Cavs and the Indians because at certain points in my life, both have been very close. And, yeah. And I, and I have fond memories of both of those. Um, and I'd like to see each of them close the deal eventually at some point. But the Browns are just a team that I honestly don't think deserves the loyalty they get while and it's, the other two teams in town deserve much more than they get. And the thing I think that's really frustrating with the Browns is that it's not even just that they're bad and they've been bad for so long, but 
the the image that they put out and the way they apparently carry themselves, it, it just it, it it just rubs you the wrong way. It, it rubs me the wrong way. It, it strikes me as a guy. It, it's I liken it to a professor with tenure. Yeah, they know that they're going to get their check. They know they're going to get paid. They don't really have to be that good. They just have to be good enough to get you to keep showing up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all they do because they know that you won't stop showing up. Oh, jeez. Exhausted. I, I am. <laughs> and, I, I mean, am. and you and I, I think we've had this discussion before, and I, I might even be a little bit of a hypocrite because I say this and then – Sunday morning, I wake up and I grab my brown shirt and I throw it on and I go to the Muni lot and I hang out and tailgate and then I come home and I watch the game beginning to end. But if you came to me, if I'm going to say something here that that might be the word might be way way worse than the Bernie thing. If Uh-oh. the Browns never came back, would it have been that bad? Man. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you got to have a football team here. And, and I do think that if they get to a point when they actually fall bass backwards into being halfway competent, I, I think we'll appreciate having football here again. I think as a whole for the city, absolutely, you're right. But for you individually, as a person, would you get, would it, would it negatively impact like your satisfaction or overall like value to not if have you a team didn't here? have a team on every Sunday that you know is horrible. I'll, I'll, I'll put if it you could just enjoy way. the NFL as a whole. You, I mean, you, you probably would have aligned with some team at some point, but if you didn't feel like this obligation to root for this bad team every week, would that really be the worst thing? Here's the thing. I, I absolutely am glad they came back, and, and I would not have wanted to live in a world where they never came back and we never got a, a new Browns franchise. I agree. Disclaimer, that's, I agree. I don't disagree. I'm just throwing the thought out there. That that said, it, every year that we go through this, it gets easier and easier for me to, to drop interest earlier in the season. And I, if, if they were... It, 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 I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I, it would not bother me as much now to lose them as much as it would have to like never get them back. It's like going through all this now. It's just. It, it's really. There's a lot of things about the NFL in general. I think, especially in the last couple of years, when you've got assholes like Greg Hardy down in Dallas, and and just some of the other things that that go on with the league and, and the arrogance of the of the the National Football League. You know the way that the league just carries itself overall that just rubbed me the wrong way. But man, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I th- I think the uh, the team down to uh, down seventy one would make it very easy to overcome uh, if the Browns if you didn't have to deal with the Browns every week. Hmm. I think the fact that you have a, a very good team. Albeit not in the NFL, but like you said, I personally I could use a break from the NFL. Like you, like you said, there's guys like Greg Hardy, and then there's whatever the hell Roger Dell has going on, and it just feels like a league that you really shouldn't enjoy because far and away it just seems like there's a lot of shit bags in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I'm going to continue to root for the Browns. I'll still get up every Sunday and put my shirt on, but yeah, <laughs> we can't quit you thing. Browns. Right, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> but if they came to you and said, Hey, this is going away. You'd have a period of why the hell are you doing that? But in the long run, it might almost be better for you individually. Obviously it would not be good for the city. I think it'd be bad for the city from an economic standpoint and just an overall um, perspective or uh, reputation of the city standpoint, I think it does give a um, a little bit of validity, even though the Browns as a whole are sort of a uh, sort of a punchline. But in the long run, personally, 
I've, it's, it's sort, I'm sort of at the point where I find it hard to get mad when the Browns suck anymore. So why should I even really care that much? Mm. So sad. <laughs> it is. It is. And I want them to be good. I really do. It's just here's where we are. Yeah. I will tell you this. There, there are a couple of Sundays coming up between now and the end of the NFL regular season where the Browns and the Cavs play at the same time. And I can tell you which game I'll be on Fox Sports Ohio. I yeah, I'll, I'll be flipping over the Browns during commercial breaks, but I'll be far more interested in what's going on with the basketball team than the football team, and I won't think twice about it, and I won't feel bad. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know what I'll do in that situation. I'll probably do the same flip back and forth. Truthfully, I'll probably focus more on the Browns um, because, like we said, there are only what six games left, and Thank Cavs God. basketball right now doesn't have a ton of meaning yet. Um, although it's kind of cool that they're on a nice win streak to start the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the Browns. What can you do? I don't even, I don't yeah. even know how to put a bow on the topic because it's just one that never seems to end. <laughs> yep. Well, I talking Cavs, I had had a couple of observations, some things that I had noticed from the past week or so. And just some thoughts on the direction they're heading in. Um, all good stuff, but we're actually over 50 minutes already here, and it's nothing that can't wait until next week. Cool. So I think this is probably a good point uh, to pull the car into the garage and uh, call it a night here. Pull the so car into have... the garage? Yeah. Okay. yeah we're, we're parking. We're, we're, okay. we're done driving around okay. town. All right. Yeah. So... Um, just uh, but before we shut it down here, any other thoughts uh, that uh, you want to give our listeners here before we say goodbye? No. Um, I guess just go Bucks, go Browns, go Cavs, like every week. I agree. So, hey, everybody, if you've made it all the way to the end of another episode of The Nail in the Coffin, we certainly appreciate it. A reminder, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Links for both of those options are in the description for this episode, and you can always find individual episodes at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. So for Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino. We will talk to you again next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.